Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Steve Feldman. Getting Better Healthcare is the radio program about our system for delivering healthcare. This isn't the show about specific illnesses, specific diagnoses, specific treatments. This show may cover some of that, but what we really focus on is how our healthcare system is put together. There is so much in the news today about the cost of healthcare, about the problems with our healthcare system. Our healthcare system is a huge, complicated labyrinth. And on this show, we're going to better understand the parts of that system and what we need to do, not just to get better healthcare for ourselves, but for creating a better healthcare system for all of us. Our healthcare system is capable of some really great things, modern day miracles. Of course, on the other hand, the system's capable of making mistakes and the system is so expensive, many people don't even have access. The cost of the system is high on all of us, and the cost is projected to keep growing. There's agreement among Democrats, independents, Republicans, that the system needs to change. There also seems to be growing agreement that the way we're going about it is completely wrong. One of the big problems we have in coming to a consensus on what to do is that the different players in the system the different stakeholders have different perspectives. The uninsured want access. The people who are well insured don't want to lose the great care they're getting now. Patients, doctors, insurers, drug companies, regulators, they all look at our system from a different angle and see something different that needs to be done. On today's show, we're going to be speaking with a physician, Dr. Joel Schlesinger. Dr. Schlesinger is going to give us a physician's perspective on what's wrong with our healthcare system and what we need to do to change it, and perhaps most importantly, what he sees wrong with the way we're going about changing our healthcare system. Dr. Schlesinger runs an amazing medical practice. He, he does medical dermatology, he does aesthetics, basically cosmetic dermatology as well. He even has a major research facility built into his practice. And being a modern physician, uh, Dr. Schlesinger has started a website to help leverage his strengths so that people everywhere can, can uh, gain benefit from his knowledge and experience. His website, Lovely Skin, L-O-V-E-L-Y-S-K-I-N.com. That's lovelyskin.com. Dr. Schlesinger is board certified in dermatology, pediatrics, and he's a board certified general cosmetic surgeon. He served as president of the American Society of Cosmetic Dermatology and Cosmetic Surgery from 2007 to 2008, and he's been president of the Nebraska Dermatology Society. Welcome to our program, Joel. There is so much going on with our healthcare system today. As you know, there's so many great things that we do for patients, and yet at the same time, there are so many problems. What do you see as being the top priority that we need to address in our healthcare system? First of all, I thank Steve for having me on this program. I think it's a great opportunity, and I think it's a wonderful thing to be able to talk to people over the radio and over the Internet, of course, and have the ability to, to hear a discussion that, that they might not have otherwise heard between two uh, doctors, two dermatologists, about what, what we feel about the healthcare system. I have... Uh, quite a few people in my office who come in and, and ask me about health care, and I'm always 
uh, somewhat surprised that they're asking me about healthcare, but they really want to know what the doctors feel because I, I think that, that patients believe that, uh, that although the, uh, the process has been debated among Congress, uh, it's quite possible that the physicians haven't been exactly involved in this process. And it, it is nice that, that physicians still hold a place in the public eye of tremendous respect and trust. So it's so important uh, also that physicians live up to that trust and rather than, for example, just dismissing health care reform and saying uh, that it can't happen and just go back to what we have, I think it's important that physicians take a, a balanced view on it and look at this process and, and, and not necessarily debate it by saying no, 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 but uh, perhaps what can we do and how can we do it to make healthcare more accessible? So, <laughs> having said that, I, I guess we, we go back to the, uh, to the first question, which I was, I, what, what can we do for it, I guess? Yeah, the top priority. And in fact, I wonder if you just answered it because you said we need to make it more accessible. Exactly. And, and I think that more accessible is a, is an important important thing. So I, I think that the, the problem is how do we make it more accessible and is it going to be a system that is more accessible but is not paid for and, and un, unsustainable for the future? I, Steve, I, what I would probably say is, is the biggest concern in my mind and I think I believe, speaking for many physicians uh, in their minds, is whether this this reform is going to be paid for over the next year, the next five years, the next 20 years, because any system that we come to is is going to be saddled on our children and our children's children to uh, pay for it. Sadly, it seems we do so much of that already. The debt is so high, and I, my sense is when we look at national debt numbers, we, we don't even include all those unfunded mandates that are out there. It's really, it, it's really depressing sometimes. It's, it's very, very concerning. There really are a lot of these uh, processes that are being uh, invented over the, ne- uh, over the past uh, Years and uh, and simply I uh, are put on the books and and then it's a uh, it's it's nearly impossible to get them off the uh, books and it's it's almost uh, impossible to tell before the program is is created whether it's going to make sense financially uh, or uh, even in in practicality. We have a, a fairly good government program, health program now, Medicare. And so one could say, well, you got $40 million uninsured. Well, just add them to Medicare. The cost of that would be horrendous. And on top of that, there's all the secondary problems you have to consider when, when you institute a program like this. If you have $40 million uninsured, if you could afford to give them all Medicare, what would happen – if all the employers said, hey, look, the government's giving everybody free Medicare, we can stop paying for insurance, and then you have even a, a much larger number of people just getting dumped on the government plan. 
oh, I think that that would be a, a real challenge. I, well, first of all, Steve, as you know as, as well as almost every physician who deals with Medicare, Medicare has problems, and nobody in government, I think, would uh, deny that. Uh, the problems with Medicare are that each year, um, it, uh, and this is a, a somewhat difficult uh, thing to explain, so I'm going to I'm going to do it fairly quickly and fairly uh, at, a, at a fairly bird's eye level. But each year, the government doesn't, frankly, have enough money to cover the costs of Medicare, and they don't write that into the budget. So what they've done is, for the past 15 years or so, they've used a, a kind of a, a little fib, which says that, okay, we know we are going to have to cut 20% in Medicare this year, and we're going to do it this year. Kind of like, you know, the uh, resolution at the beginning of the year, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to smoke or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, at the end of the year, when the, when the 20% comes, uh, comes due in, in, in Dan, December 31st, the, Met, the uh, Congress gets together and says, oh, you know what, we, we really know that we can't cut 20% because that will cut vital social services, it will mean that people won't get their benefits, it will mean that hospitals simply won't be able to afford to treat patients, doctors will start to refuse to treat Medicare patients because they can't make uh, any money, let alone a profit, but any money on a Medicare I system I type, of, type that Visit. doesn't cover their essential costs. So around December 1 through the 31st, they fix the system and add 20% in. Well, that actually goes into a deficit budget, and that's just adding to our deficit, and that's how they've done it, is to take the lie every year, put it into the budget, and then undo the lie by putting 20% more in or, or a little bit more. So what is happening is that that is going towards our, our huge debt that we are already $9 trillion plus in. And what they've been saying for the past 15 to 20 years is, please, please fix Medicare, fix Social Security. But that's not what has happened. So, well, let uh, me, Joe, let me make sure I, that our listeners understand this. So basically there's some formula that Medicare has in place where it will automatically cut a certain percentage of what it's paying uh, just across the board. And it's gotten to the point where that number is so huge that it wouldn't even cover a physician's cost to take, take on Medicare patients. And that you see one of the, the primary issues that needs to get fixed in this health care reform debate is getting that formula fixed so that there's more honesty. Because every year the government recognizes that it, it can't make that cut. So in the end, off budget, it, it, it rescinds the cut only for that cut to get larger and, and be put into place in an automatic sense in the next year of Medicare's budget. Exactly. Um, you know, a very, a very excellent summary of what, what has happened for the past 15 to 20 years. And the problem with this is that with Congress unwilling and unable to make this uh, reality to, to fix this, this problem that has happened with Medicare for so long, it's putting a lie on the very beginning of this health care reform. And that's so very important for us to, to fix as physicians. And hopefully if it is fixed, 
the, the next step then is to say, okay, here's how much money we have now that we're, we're back in reality. We're, we're not saying at the beginning of the year on our budget that we're going to somehow inherit 20% more money, that a ferry is going to you know, drop it mm-hmm. on us, and, and we're going we're gonna to be able to balance the budget. And then when that is, is fixed and, and we know how much money we exactly have, then I think the Congressional Budget Office can exa- uh, take a a hard look and say, okay, here's how much money we have. What will it take to now include more people in the healthcare system? So step number one, fix this, this abnormality of the payment system uh, this, that, that, that they have to do every year. Fix it permanently. Okay. And then you have the problem of all these – I mean, we have such a great medical care in America. It's – from our perspective, the perspective of physicians, it's horrible that there's – such a large number of people out there who don't have good access to the system. And when the economy has a downturn and employment goes down, that, that just tremendously adds to, the, to, the, to that problem. Do you, do you foresee a solution to, to address that? I think that there are a lot of solutions that can address it, and it's going to really take a, a, a great deal of, of work to, to fix it. And what what we're what I was reading the other day is that unfortunately if you don't fix a lot at once it will be a challenge to to fix anything so the the concept is if you just say to insurance companies um, you now have to uh, give give up on the concept of pre-existing conditions so anybody who enters insurance uh, all comers that come into your door they have to be uh, rated based on just you're 28 years old, okay, this is what you are going to pay for insurance. Well, the problem with that is that if you do that, you're going to uh, raise the rates on health insurance. And so 28-year-old that would have normally come in and was a healthy person who wasn't a smoker, who didn't weigh significantly more than they should weigh, who didn't have a history of perhaps uh, heart heart problems or some other uh, terrible health condition, they would be uh, paying health insurance rates that the person that otherwise might have been very unhealthy would, would have, have paid. So instead of, let's give, an, uh, for example, instead of paying something like $200 a, a month for health insurance for a healthy 25, 26-year-old, you might be paying four to $500 a month for a healthy 25 to 26-year-old. And the problem is that they will say, uh, no, no, thank you. I don't think I'm going to do it. I can't afford it. They might have been able to afford it based on their healthiness, and now they can't. So the problem is that if, if we do some changes, we will undo the ability for some people to take health insurance, and they call that a, quote, unquote, death spiral for health insurance, that you won't be able to to get health insurance. So it, granted, uh, Steve, there are real problems in making just one change and not affecting the rest of the system. So the, the, the idea that, that we can get rid of exclusions for pre-existing conditions makes no sense to me whatsoever. I mean, it sounds like a, a wonderful thing to do, but if you did, why would anybody buy insurance before they got in the ambulance to head to the hospital? I mean, if, if you know, it seems like if you're getting rid of exclusions for pre-existing conditions, then Nobody would buy insurance until 
you know, and they're in the ho- they're in the in in the ambulance uh, on their way to the hospital. They pull out their cell phone and they say, "I want to enroll with your insurance plan now," um, because there's no because they can't be excluded at that point. It seems that any kind of insurance, if we ha- it's going to have to be something that excludes um, pre-existing conditions. Exactly. Um, now the the next question is. What about making people do what the right thing is and uh, purchase health health insurance or become covered prior to becoming sick and and actually realizing the value of health insurance? And therein lies the problem because nobody wants to do that uh, when they're well. Nobody wants a mandate for insurance across. Right. I don't know about nobody, but I, I certainly think it's a very unpopular idea that the government is going to force us all to carry health insurance. Listen, I carry health insurance on, on me and my family, but uh, I, I don't feel like I need the government telling me to do that. Exactly, and and that's exactly a, a, a good description of, of what rankles, I think, most people that are out there. And as an employer, I find it really important to ensure my my employees, and we actually cover 100% of the health insurance costs for all my employees in my dermatology practice, and we have 40 lives. So, uh, so basically, we pay about $125,000 each year for health insurance for those 40 individuals to be insured uh, with a, a good policy. And and I find that that's important, but unfortunately, many employers don't find that that's important. And and this type of plan would, I think, encourage them in many ways, or a good plan would encourage them in many ways uh, to cover their employees for health insurance. But again, it's it's a, a mandate and a requirement versus finding ways that we can encourage and uh, cajole people to do the right thing and cover their employees. What, what kind of uh, health insurance have you arranged for your employees? We have a, a currently a $600 deductible for a Blue Cross Blue Shield, and, and it's a wonderful coverage plan. There's absolutely no uh, restriction as far as where they go. It's not an HMO plan, et cetera. Do the people covered by the plan... When they get health care, besides that $600 deductible, do they pay anything towards their care? No. no. It's so, so, so all the drugs are free, hospitalizations totally free after that $600 is paid? Oh, I think that they have a copay, you know, $25 copay for drugs and, uh, you know, some sort of percentage or something like that, 10%, 20% for the hospitalization if they do. Well, it's, it's, those are standard. critical factors that I think help um, – control utilization. They, they prevent people from taking on needless care or choosing something that would be horrendously expensive when something else less expensive might work. Is that your sense? Oh, I think it's a, it's a reasonable plan. Now, I keep in mind, I, part of, we, we don't want to say insurance is, is blanket good. I mean, insurance doesn't always equal good, as, as we know, Steve, because Many plans are bloated. Many plans don't really uh, take all the money that are taken into them and actually give it back to the the end user, the the patient. And we all know that 
uh, CEOs of companies like United Healthcare made $1.6 billion uh, a couple of years ago. Billion, that's with a B. And clearly that $1.6 billion wasn't uh, taken from uh, nowhere. It was taken from uh, the, the profits that, that people contributed to to the to this company and and had the company take not given the bonus of 1.6 or the salary of 1.6 billion for that CEO perhaps healthcare would have been a lot less expensive for those individuals covered under United Healthcare at least so you know we we realize that there are problems with health insurance and we want to have uh, health insurers that are fair and equitable and and realize that overall they they're uh, doing a, a favor to people, but also they have to act uh, uh, fairly to people um, and and do the right thing. You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on WebTalkRadio.net. I'm Steve Feldman. Our guest today, Dr. Joel Schlesinger. Joel, there's a the big dermatology meeting coming up. And I was noticing that one of the, the, the lectures, the plenary lectures, the lectures at which uh, the entire academy uh, may be in the audience, is entitled Inconvenient Truth. Insurance is the problem, not the solution. And I think the, the point was that when you take away the financial responsibility from patients, uh, the, the financial implications of their decision-making – you create a system that results in, in high costs. Now, you've, you've got a plan for your employees that includes a $600 deductible. So patients, so your employees are probably going to think twice before they get care that they might not need. It includes a copay on drugs. Probably, I would bet, the copay is higher for the more expensive drugs. It includes some sort of coinsurance. The health plans that I think... Um, that the government is, is considering as part of health care reform don't include those kinds of controls on cost. I mean, it, it, it sounds like they want to eat their cake and have it too. They want uh, to have insurance but do away with, uh, you know, exclusions for preexisting conditions. They, w- they want to give people health insurance but not have them have to pay a copay or any coinsurance to try to keep the, 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 the person's cost to a minimum. And it seems like to me, that that potential solution just can't happen and control costs at the same time. So true. It's it's an important uh, metric that that we use that we have to not only uh, inv- invest the money in the in the patients, but we also have to make the patients invest their time and energy in uh, making sure that they're u- utilizing healthcare reasonably. We have all been through systems where we've seen people that when they uh, when they gain health insurance, uh, everything is everything is uh, covered, and they come in and utilize uh, the emergency room for a cough that is that is one day old, where they probably could have stayed home and, and waited it out. On the other hand, it, we've seen tragic. Uh, situations when people haven't been able to utilize health care 
or have waited in an emergency room because it was crowded with people that didn't need the health care and may have either suffered or even died waiting for health care uh, because, because other people were, were in front of them. So uh, that's, that's such an important concept for, for people to, to, to be exposed to that don't really know the health care system. The, the other thing that I think people need to realize about health care that, that perhaps they, they don't know is that currently there, there is a problem with people who are uninsured when they hit a hospital's doors, and it's interesting. Um, right now, the difference between what happens when a person goes to a hospital and or perhaps when they go to a physician it, uh, most people who are uninsured or, or frankly, underinsured, if they do go to, to a place to be taken care of, it is sadly an emergency room. And that couldn't be the worst place uh, in, in the world for them to go to because emergency rooms are inefficient, they're very high cost, and they have absolutely no compassion when it comes to the final bill. Uh, when, uh, As opposed to a physician's office where... They can perhaps uh, be seen for some issue like an upper respiratory infection, pneumonia, et cetera, for probably one-tenth the cost and maybe even less than one-tenth the cost of an emergency room. And the, the physician, when encountering a, a self-insured person, will typically be compassionate and hopefully will understand that tests don't all need to be run, that, that they can uh, manage them as efficiently and hopefully uh, less with least amount of cost possible. Finding the right balance, finding a system that encourages people to get the care they need early um, but not take on care they don't need, boy, that's, that's, that's the rub. And our, our legislators, I believe on, on both sides of the aisle and in between, I think they really do want to f- come up with solutions. I've listened to... Um, both our senators from here in North Carolina, one Democratic, one Republican, they have very different ideas on, on what should be done. But in their hearts, they, they both want the same goals. They want to continue the great care we have available. They want more people to have access to it, and they want to bring the cost down. Doing any two of those three probably wouldn't be so hard to do. Doing all three, you know, that's that's the trouble. Now, the next topic I wanted to get in with with you, uh, Joel, is um, how they're going about doing this. Are, 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 are our legislators going about the process of developing appropriate health care reform in the right way? Not, not so much are they coming up with the right solution. I, I think people think they haven't. Uh, but how about the way they're going about it? What are your thoughts? Well, I think that we all know that it's been done in a, in a somewhat sneaky manner, and the, the biggest challenge has been that some states have gotten great deals be, behind the door in order to uh, have their, their Democratic senators pass this health care reform along, and other states have, have been totally uh, left out in the cold if they either don't have a Democratic senator on, uh, in their state or if their Democratic senator was good enough to sign on before uh, the process uh, started to, be, to come to a uh, heated uh, mess. So I think that what, what has happened, for example, in my state, Nebraska, we got some huge Medicaid 
I write off so that we don't have to pay for Medicaid for the next 20, 30 years, something like that. And and our senator is a very powerful senator, and he, he got this, but now, as I understand, he really wanted this for every state in the union. He said, okay, why is it unfair for, or why is it fair for Nebraska to get uh, this this Medicaid uh, mandate written off, but not California, not Louisiana, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, what what the Congress, what Senate uh, leaders did was to give the mandate for Nebraska, and and it looks bad, but I think that you know if it is uh, as he is saying, it really should have been across the boards, but they just chose to mollify him by giving the right off to Nebraska that what they call the corn uh, corn husker kickback. But I think that that, as well as other uh, inequities in this in this bill, are making people scratch their heads and say, "Boy, this is this is just slimy." I, it's almost like uh, watching watching a hot dog being made versus eating one. You know, you, you 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 like the thought of it, but God God forbid if you actually watch it being made, it's pretty ugly. So uh, that's what we're seeing in this uh, in those uh, backroom doors. That, back rooms that they're making these deals and, and frankly, doing things that are purely pork, uh, and as we know it, uh, it's unfair for our country to be run in this manner. It does seem inequitable. It does seem slimy. I love your hot dog analogy. Uh, I, I get even more concerned uh, with the, the recent Supreme Court decision deciding that, oh, corporations are citizens too, and therefore they should be allowed to give as much money to political candidates um, as they like. I mean, it sounds like there's frank bribery going on uh, in one way or another. The um, That was flabbergasting. Yeah, I, I, couldn't, the, I couldn't believe it. I, I, was, I was just thinking to myself, is this really the Supreme Court? They're saying that that's okay. <laughs> well, maybe they're not saying it's okay. Maybe they're just saying it's it's the way it's the law of our land, the way it's currently constituted. But you know, seeing in, in the the way the bills are being, uh, the way they're finding the votes to pass the bill. I mean, this is the way our system works, and uh, there's got to be a better way. What, do do you see a better way that they should be working together? Well, I, I think it's important that they actually include the Republicans in the equation, and that hasn't happened. Now, I'm neither a Democrat nor a Republican. I can, I can honestly say I've voted both ways. I don't have a, a feeling that one party is better than the other. I think they're all uh, flawed as it is. But I, I do feel that both parties need to be in the equation, and you can't do something that is heavy-handed and, and absolutely uh, without any discussion from the other side. And that's what's happened here. Another um, issue that you alluded to is the idea that they will pass bills uh, that give us such great benefit, but they don't cover the cost of the bill in their equations. And... One of the um, the issues that's probably important to you is the idea of maybe they would have a tax on cosmetic surgery. And I, I think physicians who do cosmetic surgery probably think, oh, that's a very bad idea and would like to see uh, their, the Congress people get rid of that. Now, getting rid of a tax 
well, that's easy. But coming up with the revenue that that tax would have paid, um, that that's another issue entirely. And I, I think I, I was really impressed with with the approach that um, that was taken um, to get rid of the cosmetic surgery tax, but replace it with a different source of revenue and be honest and open about it. I think that was uh, that was interesting, and uh, to fill in the, the listeners, what what exactly happened was that they replaced the cosmetic tax with the tax on tanning bed usage, and uh, I think that most dermatologists found that to be one of the one of the uh, best moments. It was kind of like uh, a, a revelation that was that was absolutely beautiful. Maybe we're down uh, by run in the in the bottom of the ninth, and all of a sudden somebody our our, our uh, best hitter hit a, a grand slam. So it was it was really uh, amazing. And uh, unfortunately, it it looks like that may be a a casualty if they try to pass this bill through the quote-unquote reconciliation process, it may be a casualty of, of, the, uh, of trying to pass this bill without going through the House once again, because the Senate, as it, as it stands, has the tax on cosmetic surgery. The House, as it stands, has a tax on, on tanning, is my understanding. And they have to, ch- they have to come together and, and re- repeal the tax on cosmetic surgery and go for the tax on tanning. Uh, Steve, as you and, and I all know, uh, tanning has contributed quite a bit of problems to our society, and and unfortunately, we're going to see a ton a ton of uh, patients with skin cancer over the next uh, 20, 30 years, and that's essentially going to uh, help cover some of the costs that we're going to see from the tanning uh, beds, uh, pet industries uh, rise and explosion, uh, frankly. So. To me, I think it makes pure sense to put a tax on tanning beds because they will be contributing to healthcare dollar expenditures uh, and already are, just like the smoking industry, just like the alcohol-based industry I have contributed. And as far as tax on cosmetic surgery, I I think it does single out one particular population, uh, women that are interested in their skin, and usually it it takes a, a woman in about her 20s to 50s and uh, makes them uh, unable to do something that would be a, a positive step or positive influence in their life. Well, speaking of positive influences, we're, we're towards the end of the show. I wanted to know what specific advice you might give our listeners on how to take care of themselves um, or you know, what they should be doing uh, uh, for our health care system. I think it's really an important thing for for people to to actually take uh, care of themselves. Number one, by avoiding things like uh, going in the sun, as as you and I all know, I and and starting to think about what things can be done to make themselves more healthy. We know that as a nation, we're we're all more obese. We have things in our diet that are are probably <clears throat> less less uh, uh, helpful for us in the future. We eat way too many processed foods, and we don't always look at our health and, and evaluate what we need to do to, to make it better. So if we can all make the resolution this year that we're going to actually think about what we're doing and, and attempt to, to improve our health by, by being a little bit more healthy, 
that alone would make a, a huge difference in our health care, and we could save a ton of money for the health care system if we all just just take that little pledge. I, um, I was really impressed. I, I, I received a copy of, of um, Merge magazine, a, 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 a magazine about um, medical aesthetics, about uh, cosmetic medicine, and the, there you were on the cover with your with your staff, and I opened it up on the inside, and there you are jumping rope with your staff. You you take the the um, the exercise issue seriously. I do. I've I've always felt that it's important, and we we try to encourage our staff to be healthy. We we did we did run a smoking cessation program in our office uh, the past year, and we we will uh, do it again. And we've tried to encourage our staff to be as healthy as possible, and. I think that it all—it's it, it, all local. Keep in mind, we talk about these 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 huge dollars in healthcare expenditures, and just by going ahead and number one, making yourself healthy. Number two, reaching out to your family, just saying we want to be healthy, we want to make uh, differences in our lives. Uh, you too can be hopefully a little bit healthier and and contribute to the overall wellness in America. And then number three, the friends and and your your employees or your your fellow uh, employees, if, if you can make some changes in, in those individuals' habits, hopefully our, our whole system will benefit by that. I think your point that it's all local is so important. I know you've taken the time to contact your legislators about health care reform. I think that's something else our listeners should keep in mind, that it isn't just your own personal health that's local. Even, even changing our system starts at the local level. Oh, that is that is very true, and and I have to say uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Feldman. Thank you, Steve, for allowing this this program to to come to the people that are uh, hopefully interested in this topic. And it's it's programs like this and the unique ways that you that you are able to educate people uh, and inform them of what is going on that make this the system more transparent and make us uh, able to inform and hopefully have a discussion with our patients and with, with Congress eventually regarding uh, improving health care. You're too kind. Thanks for being on the show today, Joel. Thank you, Steve. One of the things physicians find most frustrating about health care reform is the fact that Right now, we have a system that provides patients great medical care. I mean, people come from other countries here to get procedures done because we do them so well here. We have the most modern medicines, uh, life-changing drugs, great doctors. Uh, unfortunately, the system's not perfect. Not everybody has access. And, and, and the thing that, that may be so frustrating is the thought that we're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Even though there's problems, we don't want to lose the good aspects of the system. I think one of the things that, that Joel and I um, are really heartened by is the fact that our patients come and see us and they ask us, what do we think about health care uh, reform? What do we think about the system? Because patients still trust their doctors, and with good reasons. The doctors are incredibly well-educated, devoted to their patients, and despite the occasional stories you hear, the vast majority of people are tremendously happy with their doctors. You know, I have this uh, doctorscore.com physician rating website, and we've looked at patient satisfaction scores. And if you look at the doctors who have a lot of ratings, you'll, you'll see uh, the doctors who have a representative score, they're, 
their patients just love them on a, on a scale of zero to ten. The the average physician's um, patient satisfaction score is 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 about a nine out of ten. One of the issues that that we face with healthcare reform isn't just where reform will take us, but how we're going to get there. There needs to be greater openness in the process. We need to get rid of the impression that it's being done in a sleazy way, because even if we're heading towards the right solution, if it looks like we're getting there in a sleazy way, it's people are not going to be happy with 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 uh, where it's going. I think, as as Joel mentioned, we need a, a far greater degree of of collaboration, um, of working together, of collegiality. It's probably not just true in medicine. It's probably true in, in, in many aspects of our lives. How can we work together to achieve that? Well, as Joel points out, a lot of things start locally. Um, your local representatives, your congressman, your senator, they will listen. You need to call them. You need to pick up the phone and call them. And you don't necessarily need to talk to them about the specifics, the specifics of where you want healthcare to go. You might just talk to them about seeing a greater degree of collegiality and involvement of, of both sides um, in healthcare because we all have basically the same goals. We want a system that's less expensive, that's more open, and that and that, that keeps the high quality of care that we already have. That's our show for this week. You've been listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net with Steve Feldman. Our theme music is by the incomparably talented Michael Zioli. I hope you'll join us for next week's show. Until then, have a great and healthy week.